This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that's about stocks, all the stocks, and almost nothing but the stocks. Almost. I'm Andrew Page, and with me, Mr. Scott Phillips. Good Andrew, good day, Phil. Thanks for listening. Today on the podcast, we've promised it for a little while, we're actually going to finally get around to it. <laughs> it's a bumper full mailbag. We're going to crack through a whole bunch of questions that you have, our listeners, kindly sent in. Yes, indeed. We thank you for it. And we're also going to do a little bit of a buy, hold, sell segment. We're going to talk socks. We're, and we're going to put it on the line as well. So Scott Ooh. is going to say what he thinks is a buy, what's a sell, and maybe what's in between, what's, what's just a, a hold. There you go. I'll have a sneaker and then I'll tell you what you really <laughs> should buy, hold, or sell. Then you can ignore that. Andrew's advice and remember what I said. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and we're going to get on uh, our high... Well, I'm going to get on my high you horse. Are. It's my turn this week. <laughs> hey, hey. But, mate, let's dive straight into it. We've got a lot of stuff to get through. We do. Uh, this first one uh, comes from at Chris underscore 83 Nelso. Chris, thanks for the question. He says, hi, guys. Love the podcast. I'm a new investor and have invested in some shares to date. I'm now interested in diversifying my portfolio into bonds whilst continuing to invest in more shares. When is the best time to buy bonds? What a great question. Like Warren says, buy a $10 company at $5. Is there something similar to bonds? Andrew, what do you think? What do, oh, that's, that's what I do. I, throw, <laughs> I, know, I read the question and then I throw it to you. That's why I got it early, mate. I, I saw that coming a mile away. Well, let me say at the beginning, uh, let's. We've mentioned it before, but just quickly mm-hmm. for those that don't know, a bond is essentially an IOU, right? So yes. um, you lend someone some money, they promise to pay it back, and along the way they'll pay you what's called a coupon. So it's just basically a regular interest payment. It's that. It's it's about that simple. It's one yeah. of the oldest financial products, if not the oldest financial product in the world. There may be some slightly older in, in the more nefarious industries. Been but around <laughs> for centuries. Who issues bonds, Andrew? Uh, so... A, Corporates can issue bonds. Telstra can issue bonds. Transurban can can issue bonds. Uh, Governments issue bonds Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, And in fact, it's the main way that the governments can raise money. Right. So governments do it to fund budget deficits. Yes. Companies do it to fund growth. Rather than going to the bank and saying, hey, I'd like a loan, Mm -hmm. they go out to other investors and say, rather than getting a loan from the bank, we're effectively going to get a loan from you. Yes. Issue a bond, which is the IOU, as you say. Yep. The equivalent of a a loan document, really, from Mm -hmm. a bank where they say, I'll pay you back in next months, years, whatever it is, and give you a certain interest rate along the way. So the other thing you need to know about bonds is they are considered one of the lowest risk products that you can get. Depending on... Depending on the the credit rating of these bonds. So you'll have these various organisations, Moody's, Standard & Poor's, for example, where they'll come out with these rating systems, your AAA+, B-, all these these things. And it goes basically on a scale from gold standard down to what you'd call junk bonds and and below, frankly. Um, And investment being investment, Mm -hmm. the greater the risk that you take... (laughs) the more of a return you should demand in return for that. So if you're going to be buying a junk bond from Venezuela mm-hmm. uh, and you don't have much confidence that the Venezuelan government is going to be able to pay you back or maintain Why don't those, you like the Venezuelans? Then? They don't have a great record when it comes, <laughs> there when is it comes to bonds. So there I'm, is not, that. I'm not, I'm just letting history be my guide there. And <laughs> that's probably smart. A little bit of trouble at the moment yeah. as well. So that's, the, you know, fine. People do buy these things. Mm-hmm. Um, some people go really well at it. A favorite investor of ours, Howard Marks, a big yes, bond indeed. investor and done very well by looking at a certain bond markets and going, yes, I get that it's super high risk, but, you know, things aren't priced appropriately. Mm -hmm. There is huge upside if the market is even a little bit wrong. Right. Now, the other thing that you need to know about bonds is a long wind-up to answer this question, (laughs) is that not everyone holds them to maturity. 
In fact, right. I'd say most people don't. In other words... Well, someone must by definition, right? I guess someone, does someone, it. someone's holding it at the end of the day when it mm-hmm. expires. So mm-hmm. I buy a 10-year bond. I buy it today. In 10 years, I'll get my money back plus any interest along the way. Right. Um, and if I am and, and the, the, the issuing entity is still solvent, I'm going to get some cash back. Yes. But there is what they call... A secondary market. Have I put everyone to sleep yet? Scott? Pretty much. I think okay. just, just about. We're four minutes in. I think they're just dozing off. I'm nothing. So, wake not up! Thorough. Wake up! Wake up! It's oh, going to get better. Uh, uh, you ready? Uh, so I'm nothing if not thorough. So, <laughs> so well, you have to understand all of this kind of stuff. And and so I can buy my bond, mm-hmm. a ten year bond, but I can sell it on the secondary market to right. someone else. Right. And often that's the case. So. The, pr- the value of the bond, the price of the bond changes mm. based on the prevailing changes in interest rates. Why would... In- now, so I'm going to flip it over to mm-hmm. you. Why would interest <laughs> rates impact the price of a bond? So here's the thing. You buy a $100 bond from mm-hmm. someone who's... Let's say the Australian government's issuing bonds. Yep. I buy it for $100 Kangaroo face value. Kangaroo bonds, I think. And I get 2%. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I can get my 2%, my 100 bucks. If all of a sudden there's an alternative asset out there paying 3%, yep. who's going to pay me 100 bucks for my $2, my 2% bond? And right. The answer is nobody. No one. And so the price is going to fall of that bond Wait. Until it roughly approximates the three percent. Why? Why would it have to fall? Because the interest rate, the average rate. If I'm buying that bond from you, you own the bond, or you're mm-hmm. buying from me. Let's mm-hmm. let's keep it in the first person. Mm-hmm. I own a hundred dollar bond, paying two percent. Mm-hmm. You're saying I want three percent for my money. Mm-hmm. You're only going to pay an amount of money to me to get that three percent. Yield being the income paid over the price of the asset. Correct. And so if the income is the same, i.e. $2 a year, mm-hmm. you're going to want a cheaper price to make sure that's a 3% yield. Has everyone got this They're in their head? Completely gone to sleep. I hope you've got your spreadsheets open. <laughs> uh, so uh, There'll be a test after Chris, this. Chris, to answer your question, I, I got to finally my, getting to it. Put my hand up here. <laughs> I, I don't buy bonds. Yep. I've never bought a bond. Yep. Um, I, I think that they're an incredibly valuable asset. There's not, it's not necessarily an easy thing to access for most people, mm-hmm. at least not directly. Yep. You can do it through various uh, ETFs, exchange-traded mm-hmm. funds, mm-hmm. where they just their focus is that they invest in a portfolio of bonds and you buy into their product to get exposure to that. Yep. You can do that through your super fund and the rest of it. Now, go back to what I said before about bonds being one of the lowest risk investments you can have. In theory. The caveat of that is, of course, is that that means that you don't tend to get very good income on that, very good returns on that. Right. Now, that is always true, relatively speaking, relative to property and shares. At the moment, it's especially true because global interest rates are so low. In Mm -hmm. fact, in some parts of the world, believe it or not, there are essentially negatively yielding assets there. Correct. So you actually pay the government to borrow their money. It's it's a, it's a phenomenal uh, situation. So I would say this. I would say bonds are a great way to store your cash if you want to be pretty confident it's going to be there next week, next month, next year. Yep. Um that's the principle you've laid out as long as you hold it to redemption. You'll get back what you've passed. That's the other thing. Yes, on the secondary market, bonds can fluctuate. Yep. If you hold them to redemption, you will always, as long as the party doesn't go broke, And with get the your government, you're, you're, you know, especially with the US or the Australian government, it's right, going to be right. not impossible, right. but God help us if this isn't the case. <laughs> but, um, you know, they're, they're going to be around. Correct. So so I think that's where they serve a useful purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris, I'm only just looking at, at the uh, image of yourself on Twitter here. You look like a, a, a fairly youngish guy. I certainly look at a distance away from retirement. I can't lose with saying that. Can Young, good-looking bloke. Yeah, exactly, I, I, exactly. You know, either I'm paying Chris a huge compliment <laughs> or it's true. And and or both. I, and I would say, or, or yeah, definitely. And and I would say, I would say, honestly, even though you're going to see far more volatility in things like property and and shares and the rest of it, you're going to get a far far better return. So there is a in a in a in a perverse kind of way, there is a huge risk with things like cash and bonds for the younger investor, <laughs> because the risk is is that you get a very very low return and you you have this massive opportunity cost. So 
the guy who's who's 25, he puts he thinks I want to be low risk, I'm going to put all my money into bonds. One day he turns 65 and the 10,000 he invested is worth maybe 20,000. Right, right. Whereas the bloke who put it all into shares has seen the crashes and ups and downs and the rest of it, but he's probably got $200,000. So I hope that's a very long-winded answer. <laughs> it's definitely a long-winded answer. I hope it's a good one. Well, mate, can I ask you this before yes. we move on? Let's <laughs> let's say Chris is still keen and, and, yep. and he has every right to be. Yep. Where would he actually start? Well, the, the question Chris would ask is, what's the right price to pay for a bond? And I think it depends on effectively the return you want to achieve and the, the risk you're taking to get there. Mm-hmm. And to some degree, if you're happy with the 2% return, you want a proxy for a term deposit and you want to buy government bonds, then that's what you go and do. The right price to pay for the bond, if you want a higher return, you're going to take on more risk and you're going to be either buying bonds of a company that maybe there's some questions about solvency mm-hmm. or at a time when you expect interest rates to change favorably. And so to some degree, rates are going to go up. So bond prices are going down, mm-hmm. we talked about before. Mm-hmm. So you want to buy cheaply enough that you're going to get the return you want from the coupon you're getting relative to other assets. The, the, the time to buy those is if you can tell where the market's going next. <laughs> can anyone do that? Though? And that's the problem, right? So yeah. oh, look, some people, some people, have, you know, if you if you have a long enough time horizon, you get the right asset. You know, bond, you know, interest is going up. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can get take advantage of that. There've been bonds out there where people have made a fortune for. Um, it's very, very, very difficult to do. I, I agree with you. I would stay away. Uh, but Chris, the direct answer to your question is. is if you're being offered the return you want and not taking undue risk, that's the price to pay. There is no absolute price because it depends on the credit worthiness and the price. Modly for money. Mate, we've hit the ground running with a, a hugely detailed dive into bonds. Can we talk about tax then? Well, well let's, let's get sexy. <laughs> let's get really sexy We're for bringing a sexy back. And let's talk about tax because it doesn't get better than tax. Am and- I Justin Timberlake or are you Justin Timberlake? <laughs> We're bringing sexy. That's what I've come to. I've come to singing now because I try and make this light enough. I've got nothing else. I'm so out of touch. I don't even know the song, so I'm just going to move oh, straight dear. on. I know. Some you of the Neil, Neil Diamond going, songs, maybe? I could, I could I, help you out mate, there. After, after this, a couple of beers, I'll sing you a sweet carol and you'll never forget. <laughs> oh, no, I regret that already. So we've got <laughs> another question from David Moore, at David underscore mm-hmm. Moore, M-O-H-R. Yes. Um, and he's gone, uh, hey, guys, can you discuss the effects that reducing income tax but having no deductions would have on the economy? Now, I'm going to put my hand up straight away yes. and say, I actually don't have, for once in my life, <laughs> an opinion. Uh, I'm not, Likely at least, for you, at I least have two opinions well- on every topic, so that's okay. I'll cover both of us. <laughs> well, let's, let me be clear. I don't have a well-formed opinion <laughs> that I'm prepared to put out there, so I'm going to definitely hot potato this one to you. The effects of reducing income tax but having no deductions. <laughs> what? Mm. What effect does that have on the economy? Man, I'm going to wrap this up in two just for a second because I'm going to. We also have a question from a Sly Dark Horse 69 on Twitter, whose Twitter handle is somewhat surprisingly a Sly Dark Horse 61. So I'll I'll, I'll put the eight in a, in brackets somehow. There. There's a difference there somewhere. And he says, uh, should government be eliminating all payroll tax mm. rather than reducing company tax? So we're talking more broadly here about the impacts of tax changes on the economy. And I'll wrap those together so we don't talk about them individually and take too much time on, on both or whatever. Because, um, you know, tax and bonds are pretty exciting stuff. Where, where to next? How do Tell we top what? this? Where, where do we go? You still awake out there? <laughs> no, didn't think so. Crickets. All right. So here's the thing. Um, uh, David's question, I mean, the reality, so the easy answer, David, to your question is, the impact on the economy depends entirely on the net difference of what you're proposing to do. Mm-hmm. If you're putting more money into the economy, it's stimulatory. If you take more money out of the economy, it's contractionary. And so if you literally do a one-for-one, on a total economic level, it would make no absolute difference because you're simply saying, well, let's have a lower tax rate, fewer deductions. If the end result, the government still collects 100 bucks in tax versus 100 bucks that we've collected previously, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. From a... 
I'm not afraid to ask the dumb question, mate. And that's, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm I mean, very good at asking a dumb question. <laughs> but doesn't it depend where you take it from, though, right? So it might the net overall effect might be different. But if I've decided that I'm going to tax only single working mums mm-hmm. and I'm going to let anyone with a billion dollars pay no tax, and let's say that the overall effect is is the same, I'm still having a huge impact on the right. economy, right? And so that's where it differs depending on... Uh, I'm assuming on David's question, it's the same person. So if I pay okay. 40% tax with 10% with the deduction okay. or I pay 30% straight tax, it makes absolutely no difference. Gotcha. To your exact point, you've done a beautiful job of leading that in because it so depends I, That's on, intentional, by the way. It depends on the propensity of the taxpayer or the person who's not paying the tax to then spend that money. If you give Warren Buffett a tax deduction, he's not spending any more money. If you simply said a Warren, he doesn't here's spend another, any money anyway. Right, that's right? the thing, right? Yeah. So here's ten billion less of tax you got to pay. Mm. Warren, you get, would you like to go and spend that? No, I'll just keep it. Thanks. Yeah. And so the the government makes less money because that that deduction or that removal of reduction of interest rate, I should mm-hmm. say, or tax mm-hmm. rate, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, versus the the person who, as you say, the single mother. If you were to give welfare recipients or pensioners or single mums a bit more money. Almost all of them are going to spend extra money on some degree of consumption, mm-hmm. and consumption is what multiplies through the economy. Mm-hmm. And so, this is this is edging on the political a little bit. Um, but it's hard we'll pull not back to with this. Well, that's, so every, every because we all look, no one looks at tax legislation right, right, right. through the aggregate of the economy. I mean, we mm-hmm. whenever tax is discussed. Everyone naturally goes, well, how does that impact me? Right, and I want, I want tax on they don't deserve yeah. it, right? Yeah, and I, I want to pay less tax, right? And everyone does. So, but here's the thing. So if anything want... that hurts me is bad policy. Right. If you want economic growth, you want any tax cuts to go through to spending or to economic activity, to use the economist jargon, mm-hmm. That that's where it matters. So to, to David's question, the answer is it depends who gets the tax cuts, who loses their deductions. If you, if you believe the tax scales are currently wrong in one form or another, you might have a, an ideological or philosophical perspective as to what you want cut. If you're not that person, you think there's a different approach, then I would argue that you want to have, you don't want the distorting effects of of those deductions, right? So when the deductions are for things like self-education expenses that people go and do courses they otherwise wouldn't need to do, or a salary sacrificing to to pay for cars they otherwise wouldn't buy, that's when that changes and the money can go into something else more productive in theory, mm-hmm. and you have less fewer loopholes, fewer kind of distortions of the system. So. Generally speaking, net-net, no change on an individual level. Mm -hmm. On a broader economic level, it depends who ends up with more money and whether or not they're more likely to spend that money and create more economic activity. That's the answer. Good answer, mate. I'm going to shift this into high gear. Let's talk about... I've got to answer the second one first. You don't get off tax that lightly. Oh, okay. So the question from a sly dark horse, and I'll do this this quickly, was what if we eliminated payroll tax rather than reducing the company tax rate? Mm -hmm. I think that is a spectacular idea if you're Mm going to do one or the other. Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to do either necessarily. I'm on record as saying that reducing the company tax rate doesn't change the economic activity pursued by those companies because we only pay tax on profits Mm -hmm. and no one has ever rationally said, I don't want to make that profit because I might have to pay a a portion of it in tax. That would be stupid. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking to increase employment, you're looking to lower barriers for employment outright. Mm-hmm. That is the tax you pay when you employ, not when you make a profit from that employee. That makes perfect sense. If I was if I was in government looking to pass on some sort of corporate tax cut for ideological, philosophical, or economic reasons, I think that's a really, really smart way to go. And if you're going to do anything at all, reducing the barriers to employment and the barriers to investment by businesses is far, far more useful than changing the net tax you pay if you make a profit. Vote one, Scott Phillips. Indeed. I will be standing next time the democracy session is offered. <laughs> Vote one, the Motley Fool Party. Written and authorised by Scott Phillips. ACT Canberra. Motley Fool Money. Um, so the next question, we, we're going to go from um, uh, bonds to tax to net asset value. Hey, hey. NAV, as we like to call it. This gets better so and better, this, doesn't this it? So this is a, an anonymous question. Can uh, we please talk uh, arcane tax rules and 
Accounting oh, principles mate, this later. Is, this is getting better. We, you know what we've done though. We've, <laughs> we've 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 teased everyone with some stock tips at the end. So. Stay tuned. They're coming. Although it is a podcast, so you can fast forward. You, no, no, you can't. No you one can't, would do that. You can't do um, so this, this is the really good uh, bit. Anonymous. Uh, you has, might throw the stock tips in the middle of this answer, so don't fast forward. You never forward. know. You, you never might know. miss out. So he says, "Good blue sky chat, guys." So we, last week we talked about blue sky. Thank you, Anon. Uh, the alternative asset uh, vehicle Indeed. and all of the pickle that they're in. Just refer back to that episode. We we talked about it again at breakfast. We did. Argued, talked, one of the two. Wait, listeners, we're saving you from this. Trust us. <laughs> so, so anyway, listen to last week's episode if you yeah. want. If you want to dive into that, and if you want to know what's uh, really happening, ask me. Don't ask <laughs> and, um, a related filler for the future. He, he or she says, "Why doesn't net asset value more closely resemble market cap?" Now, I so, don't like filler. Filler and filler kind of infers that we don't have anything important to talk about, <laughs> like tax. Let's, and let's, not, let's and... not let's not pick at that, okay, shall we? Right. Um, so, so I'll, I'll, let me let me do another job of framing it. So, okay. there's we've talked about this in various ways in the past. You yep. know, how do you value an asset? Yeah, you know, yeah, what, yeah. What is what is BHP really worth? What is your investment property really worth? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, one of the ways you can do it for certain types of, you know, mm-hmm. assets that have a lot of fixed, a lot of uh, physical access, t- t- tangible assets is the word I'm looking for. Yes. Is you can say, well, this company owns a uh, building, a bunch of buildings, and that building is is worth a million dollars. So therefore, in theory, the shares should trade for a million dollars. Right. Now, where you can find opportunity, colloquially known as book value, book value. Net, thank you. Tangible assets or net asset value. And, and what you can do in theory, and because the market is volatile and mm-hmm. because the market isn't always perfectly rational, um, you will often find times where the share price is below that book value, below that net asset So value. the building's worth a million bucks, but the shares in the company that owns that building yep. are trading for 900000 So there is free money to be made. Sounds like it. Well, this is the thing with, <laughs> with capitalism and markets. And there is that no one's leaving $100 bills lying around, right? right? There, there is, if Great it's, joke. If it's not that, can you give us a joke, actually? Because oh, so I'm going to butcher it. Two economists are walking down the street. And uh, sorry, Economist and his mate walking down the street. They walk past a twenty dollar note, mm-hmm. and his mate turns and says, "Why didn't you pick up that twenty bucks?" He said, "Well, if it was really there, someone would have picked it up by it's now." It's brilliant, isn't it? I go. love it. And and that's and that's it's a really it's real core to the whole ideology of, yep. of, of our system. And and so, I guess that when you're seeing a a there's two there's two possibilities as to why a share would trade below its net asset value. Um, yes. Well, one reason that looked at from two different <laughs> can, angles. Can I, can I throw a really quick, just to be a little Go bit more detailed here? So net asset value talks about the total assets of any company, mm-hmm. including tangible and intangible assets. Mm. So the net asset value of Fairfax, for example, includes an assumed value for the value of the City Money Herald, Masthead of the Age, Masthead. They're Asset, in, they're assets intangible. that have been written down. And, there is that. Yep. So they're intangible though, right? They don't mm. actually physically, they don't, they don't exist in a real way like a building. Yeah, but they're not so, worthless, right? Like if I had the right. rights to use the Sydney Morning, I'm if I was to launch my own newspaper, today, Andrew's, Andrew's Herald, Yes, no one's going to buy it. Correct. If I own the Sydney Morning Herald, Masthead, or the Melbourne Age, or something like that, I'm, I'm in with a fighting chance. Correct. So it is worth non-zero. It's not worth... Right. The, the difference is the question here, and I think what is getting at with the Blue Sky conversation, with things like property trusts and other things, is the mm. net asset value here, where it's a proxy for net tangible assets. You mm. mentioned that earlier. So Sorry. Yep. Net assets is the total of everything, and they can be written down to your point, Andrew. If mm. you'd paid net asset value for Fairfax five years ago... Yep. It's much higher than asset value today because they've written down those mastheads. That's one reason why the shares might be trading below that NAV level. Correct. Correct. Because the market simply doesn't believe those assets are worth what they're worth. 
it's a different story if you've got net tangible assets, which is literally the the plant and equipment or the building or the, the property or whatever it is you own. So the market's just taking a different view than what the accountants and auditors have taken on the buy. And, and the other angle that you can look at it is what you will <laughs> often find, in fact, far more often find for a lot of companies mm-hmm. is that the share price trades much above the book value of yes. the shares. So yes. the accountants have said, if you took all the assets, sold them, paid off all of the debts and mm-hmm. the liabilities, here's what's left over. Right. The market will pay a lot more for it. Yes. And the reason for that is because there is something, I guess the philosophy is it's worth more than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. As an entity, as a going concern, it has an ability to generate cash flow. Yes. A cash flow that is beyond the resale value right. of those assets on the open market. And here's a simple example. If you bought a business worth a buck, or we had net assets of a dollar, mm. but it was producing $2 worth of earnings a year. Yep. If you bought it for a buck, you'd feel like you're getting a bargain. If you sold it for a buck, you'd be an idiot. Yes. Because it produces much more in earnings than the underlying assets. So it's something that's what we call capital light. So think about Amazon, for example, or Google or a software company. The value of its earnings, the cash you can get out of it, are worth far, far more to you than the physical assets of the business. It's really true for service businesses, right? Totally. The reverse is true for property trusts. Mm. We, we have to call them REITs these days because- Real estate more like, investment trusts? I hate that term. God, we love a good acronym. We, we, love, we? we love following the Yanks. They call them REITs. So we had to call them REITs too. <laughs> LPTs, listed property trusts, for those who've been around the block a few times. Yeah. Um, the building's worth what a building's worth. And the same building or a different building across the road with the same space and the same rental capacity should be worth roughly the same amount. They're not exactly commodities, not exactly completely interchangeable, mm. but they are to the extent where it's only worth, frankly, the value of the building because that's that's already built into it, the value of the earnings you're going to get from that building. So to some degree, the net tangible asset number is a proxy for the value of the rent you're going to get in the first place. And so that's why it shouldn't be that different. The market should be valuing that building itself mm. at a multiple's rent. In other words, it should trade about the net tangible price. Hey, do you remember last year? I think it was last year where they were selling one of the big power stations for a buck. Yeah. And, you know, it was a, a common conversation. Well, this is probably more comment on my social life, but there's plenty of conversations <laughs> at the pub. It's like, hey, I'd buy it. You know, it's a buck. Right? I've got a buck in my pocket. I could buy that power station. And it sort of seemed yep. like this, this real, you know, idea of capitalism just broken. Like yeah, how yeah. how can you sell something? Mines often sell for the same price. Right. Yep. You know, and, yep. and like how it's, that is crazy. I, yep. I can't lose. Like, or if I do lose, so what? I lose a dollar. So how do you square that circle? Yep. Yep. And the way you square that circle is is to understand that, well, when you buy that asset, it comes with a bunch of liabilities. You are on the hook yes. for you know remediation. Remediation uh, is what? Uh, uh, fixing up all of the crap that you've made. Yep. <laughs> uh, you have to fix that up legally. Yep. And re- so there is. So you're actually buying a, a liability. Right. And that's why it's a, a dollar is just a notional value. It's yep. the lowest you can get and make it. And make the punt the buyer is taking is they think they can somehow get more value out of that dilapidated mine yep. that lets them pay for the remediation. The company selling is like, I either don't think I can or I don't want to bother with it or it's not worth my while. Yep. So pay me a dollar because it has to be a dollar for a contract. Mm. So pay me a buck so we can get it off my, my hands on your hands. Yep. Um, I should say, by the way, a lot of unscrupulous mining companies and and power companies do that to basically offset the liability from their books, make it someone else's problem. If you sell a mine, if I sell my mine to you for a dollar yeah. and then you go broke, yep. it's not my issue. No. And if you found a shelf company, for example, that had the mm-hmm. purchase the mine for a buck, then also no one's responsible for the remediation. The government picks up the tab. Buyer beware. In, well, and government beware. Government beware, yeah, true. So here's the thing. Net asset value is really, really useful if you're looking at an asset that can be reasonably valued, well understood, and has a, has a close comparable alternative to buy. So property mm. trusts are great for that. Um, they're probably the most obvious example. Others might be uh, sometimes infrastructure assets like toll yeah. roads or pipelines, but even then yeah. it's still a bit questionable. Um, generally speaking, it's it's a book value is a, uh, financials another way, mm. by the way. Um, so banks, that kind yep. of stuff. If you're buying for a round net tangible asset, net asset value, book value, mm. you're probably in a good deal. Understand though the value of those assets. That's the reason why it can differ. Yep. 
One really, really quick one. Listed investment companies mm. should trade a discount to their net asset value because of the management fees. Yes. So if you're buying a, an LIC and it's got a dollar worth of assets. That's a mistake people make all the time, right. isn't it? Dollar worth of assets, I'll buy it for a dollar. Mm. That would be fine if there's no management fee. Yeah. But there's a management fee that comes out of that buck before you get your money. And yep. the longer you hold them for, the more that management fee eats away from that. So just be a little bit careful there. If there's an LIC at somewhere around 5 to 10% discount, that's probably a fair price. Yep. Anything less than that, you're paying too much. Anything more than that's probably a good deal. And to go even deeper into the fractal as well, you've got to assume that all the assets that comprise that listed investment right. company are also fairly valued as well. So in other words, I, I think where we need to be careful here, it's a very compelling narrative and people yep. go, ah, oh, look, these are trading at a discount to net asset value. I should buy. It's, yes. it, it's, it's not that easy. If, in I fact, buy if a... we've done anything, we've probably <laughs> shown right, how, right. how complicated it can be. If I could buy a really well-maintained, high-profile, high-quality building yep. for half its NTA, I'd fall over myself to do yeah, it. But if it's 2 or 3% different, I mean, really? Right. Is, is it that is it that safe a bit? Right, you know, right, right. let's let's keep things in proportion. Buy quality first. Don't obsess over book value. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Speaking of buying quality. Hi, hi. Look at that seg. You're getting good at this. I'm, I'm getting good. <laughs> Nearly 100 episodes in, mate. So it's, <laughs> eventually. So it's, eventually you mate, know. sooner or later, they'll actually start putting this podcast out on Apple. It'd be great. <laughs> Once we get on iTunes, they, they tell us 100 times we'll finally get it right. Then they'll let us out in the wild. <laughs> let's not count our chickens just yet. So I'm going to let's, let's, let's do one for one. Okay. Uh, we'll do a buy and we'll do a hold and we'll do a sell each. We're okay. going to focus on the ASX, the Australian Stock Exchange. Yes. And I'm going to let you kick things off. Are now, you? we've got about 10 minutes left, just a little bit All less, right. in fact. Uh, what should investors buy? What would you recommend that shareholders buy? Lightning round. I would say our listeners should look at Freedom Foods. Freedom Foods. FNP is the code. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liam's not with us today, but Liam would be smiling somewhere knowing that I mentioned the ASX code. Mm-hmm. So FNP is the name, is the code of the company. Freedom Foods makes some of the products you will have seen in your supermarket. They're a lot, largely the allergen-free foods, so free from wheat, free from those kind of things. The Australia's own brand is one of their brands. They have quite a few in the Australian supermarket business, but they're also going into a Asia and America. And they're really making very, very nice inroads. UHT Milk in particular is one of their key products they're selling into into China and Asia. Ultra high temperature. You got it. Mm -hmm. So that the pre-treated stuff that lasts for a long time on the shelf, Mm -hmm. but also allergen-free products, a whole lot of stuff they're doing. It's run by the Perich family, has been for years. And these guys, this has come some degree a a play on the demographic, geographic opportunities Mm -hmm. uh, of going into Asia, more people having allergen-free foods. And also, frankly, it's something of a a jockey player, at least a team player, if you like, because the Perich family, the founder and his sons have done a great job here. They are really entrepreneurial. They're doing deals all over the place. They're finding joint ventures here, doing expansion opportunities there. They've recreated, they're, they're, they're creating a new warehouse and manufacturing plant, which will bring costs down a long way. Mm. This has got a long, long runway ahead, I think, run by smart, capable people with huge skin in the game. Um, Freedom Foods, I think, will be a success story over the next five and more years. So I would buy Freedom Foods FNP. I like it. Thank you, mate. My buy is, I think I mentioned this one before, you but have when, you're on a good, when you're on a good thing, stick to right, it. That's conviction. I like, I love the name too. Nanasonics is the name. So hey, little sound. N- need I say anything else, right? No, done. Na- right, Nanasonics, on. done. Um, and uh, you think that's cool? This is what they do. They make a- Andrew, yes. what's the code? Uh, N-A-M. There you go. Thank you, Scott. You're welcome. N for Nelly, A for Apple, N for Nelly. Or November, Alpha November, if you're even, oh, even better. Even inclined. Even better. Um, there you go. Uh, you think that's cool? These guys make a nanonebulant <laughs> probe disinfectant thing. device <laughs> thing. <laughs> and and why I like it is this. So basically what it does is it enables um, uh, people who run ultrasound clinics and mm-hmm. hospitals to disinfect their probes. Yes. It does it very, very effectively. It does it very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
there is a huge market out there. Now, every company you see, every slide deck that they present tells you about how big the market opportunity is. The difference with Nanasonics is that they are a cash flow positive business. They are making money. They are actually selling these things and they are selling them a, a lot of these things, around yeah. about 4,000 or so a year. What I really like about the business as well is that they're kind of like Gillette. They're, they they had this yeah. razor and blade model. So not only do they make money on the machines, which is nice, yep. but they make money on the consumables that you have to put into the machines. And they have mm. very high margin type stuff. And and this is, this is an industry that is very acyclical. We could have a huge crushing recession and people who run ultra uh, ultrasound um, devices still have to disinfect them, right? They're not going right. to just say, you know what, we're just not going to bother. <laughs> we don't care about causing disease and pain for people. We don't want to spend the money. You've always got to be careful when you say recession-proof, but Nanasonics is is certainly towards that end of the spectrum. It's possible that com- that hospitals may buy fewer of them if yeah, the government, totally, totally. government coffers got tight, yep. but generally speaking, they're not going to stop using them. Well, here's the other thing. They're extraordinarily defensive against the Australian economy because the vast, vast bulk of their money is earned overseas. Um, plenty in Europe, um, a very large amount in the United States yes. as well. So they they have they have that wonderful diversity mm-hmm. uh, they have huge amounts of recurring revenue very very high margins huge first mover a- advantage and get this scott just 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 because i've gone crazy i'm going to throw this in for people who dial in now oh it is uh it is debt free and they have about yes. 60 million dollars of cash on the books uh-huh. and they're using that technology to in, to um, release a couple of other devices on the market very, very soon. So and I do, really like it. Do you own shares? I, oh, sorry. Yes, I do own shares. Well, cool. I, I'm, I'm proud to say it, right? Like, yeah, I, no, I, genu- I genuinely do. And I've, I've held these guys since about 90 cents, and I still think they're cheap at 250. Totally. Just for do, you like, do, do you like how I did that as well? I do like that. Yeah, yeah. just just, put in the just, just to make mention of that. <laughs> I agree with you, mate. I like the Nesonics a lot. It's a good stock. Okay. What about your hold? Now, what, what is a hold? I always I like struggle. You, I'm I like you go first. Okay. Well, you well, tell me what a hold is. Well, the, the, we, it's just one of these conventions within the industry. I guess if you're a sell-side broker, or you there's this sort of halfway place. We feel bad for you if you are. We do feel sorry for you. <laughs> we, we, we were this halfway place between not quite a buy, not quite a sell. If you've got shares, don't do anything with yeah. them. Um, don't but, buy more, don't sell them kind of thing. A lot of the time in the industry, a hold is quasi-self for investment bankers who don't feel like they want to say sell in case they can raise money for the company later. Yeah. For us, it's roughly a sense that we don't feel highly convicted that a company is either going to beat the market or lose to the market. It's yep. kind of around about market return, give or take, or we're simply not sure. Okay. Um, so mine is Vocus. And Vocus, Vocus uh, these are a telco. These guys were the ones who gobbled up uh, M2. Um, Amcom. And Amcom. And they just were just a darling of the market. Their share price just went to stratospheric heights. What's the code uh, for Vocus? Uh, V-O-C is the code. Thank, Thank you, you for reminding me. You're welcome. And uh, I try for three. For th- Next time I'm going to try and get you to do it without having See, well, don't hold your breath. Fingers crossed. Uh, so the, the trouble with these guys is they got a bit of indigestion mm-hmm. and they they bit off more than they can chew and trying to integrate all these very large businesses yeah. you know things th- things just started to to come undone a little bit so the share- say bad timing as well because the telecom market kind of slowed a little bit at the so same the industry time. as a whole really slowed down it was, yeah. it was growth that was underpinned by aggregation and that aggregation opportunity dried up right so share prices have come crashing down around about two dollars fifty at the moment so why on earth would you buy something like that where the industry itself isn't growing as fast as it was I anymore as you wouldn't I, well I, that's I, why it's a hold right having yeah but having, <laughs> having said that I, I I would I would argue that the the thing you've got to remember with Vocus is that 
the market has priced in that lower growth. Right. They have incredibly valuable assets, very, very long-lived fiber assets. They mm -hmm. have put a bunch of cable into the ground and it'll be there for decades to come. Mm -hmm. um, they, uh, they do have a bit of a debt problem, but they're flogging off the Kiwi assets, which is going to go a long way to address that as well. So I, I, I think that there was a very strong case to sell for Vocus at one point in time. That has now passed. Right. And I actually think there is, I think the market's over, overdone it. So not so much that I would say high conviction buy, Yep. But I certainly, if I held shares, I wouldn't be selling them right now. Nice one. Thank what you, What about sir. you, mate? I'm going to go Crown Resorts. This is going to be uh, a bit controversial, those who oh, like to those, invest yes. ethically. Yep. Uh, Crown makes money off us gambling. So, you know, you can take your ethical viewpoint on that or otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, Crown is in a funny space right now. It's basically withdrawn from Vegas. It's withdrawn from Macau. It's now basically an Australian operation with a little bit of business in London. Um, High-quality casino operator, as we know well, doing a great job in Melbourne and Perth. Um, they've got business up in Queensland, and they're going to open a six-star resort at Barangaroo in Sydney. Mm -hmm. um, really, really high-quality business. There are many, many, many more gamblers going to come to Australia over the next 10 years, particularly from Asia, but from right around the world. Mm -hmm. And that is good news for Crown, who is the preeminent uh, casino operator in the country. Mm -hmm. We know the house always wins, so the question is, what's the right price to pay? Right now, I think the price is probably about fair. I like the business a lot. Really high-quality business. We've had it as a buy before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We moved it to hold on some concerns about, firstly, the Chinese arrests, yep. and then secondly, the, the price. Yep. The Chinese arrest problem has gone away now. It's been dealt with and fixed. And right now, it's a question of, you know, do we think there is enough growth left in this business to justify the price? Not quite at the current level. So it's one for the watch list. If yep. you, uh, I think it's a very high-quality business, but it's just not so cheap. At a price 15 20% lower than today, I think it's probably definitely a buy. So one to keep on the watch list is a hold for now on price, mm -hmm. but it's a buy on quality. So as soon as you get the two to line up, I'd say it's definitely back in buy. So territory. much to talk about there, but we are running the out code, of time. The code, by the way, is CWN. <laughs> Damn it, I was going to ask you. Uh, you beat me to it. Um, I'm going to do it. Now we really have to, we have to crack on here. We do. Um, uh, what would you sell, Andrew? I would sell Afterpay. Afterpay Touch. Afterpay Touch. The code here is APT hi, before hi. you ask. Uh, these guys, you would have charm. seen them around, right? Like in, in a lot of shops now, it's it's kind of like lay-by, but with a bit sexy with an app. I, I guess basically, so basically um, you can buy now and pay later. I saw a, 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 a banner. Afterpay for people who are broke AF. <laughs> don't don't need to tell us what AF stands for. Um, After something. Yeah, yeah well, look, right. it's, it's it's ask millennial is all I'll say. <laughs> and and uh, the business has grown phenomenally well, like phenomenally yeah. well. Yeah. Even shares have come back a long way, but even with that, they're still up a hundred percent or so mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. um, and on a really good premise, they are saving money. That's right, they're making money for retailers. Yes, retailers who have adopted Afterpay as a payment method have seen their sales online and in store yep. grow really meaningfully. And so, I actually, there's a lot to like about the business, but I think there is too much in the price even with the fall back here. And there's a couple of huge risks that people need to be aware of. We haven't seen this company operate through a recession. We just don't know how they're going to deal with bad and doubtful debts if mm -hmm. and when they come. Yep. And you can bet that they're going to come at some point because, yep. you know, economies move in cycles. The other thing to be in mind is these guys are kind of sprung up in the cracks here. There is very, very tight regulation mm -hmm. around most credit um, issuers. Right. Um, uh, we saw what happened with small uh, uh small amount credit loans, like yes. cash converters, money threes, like that, and just how significant regulatory oversight can be, yep. perhaps appropriately. Crush them both, yeah. And, and if, the reg if they're going to become a victim of their own success potentially, where they become so big yep. that the regulator goes, hey, wait a sec, you guys are sort of operating in, in a grey area here. We're so, going to put well, some restrictions on you. It's kind of pure black and white. Except the regulator might decide that's not okay. Yes, so right, right now they don't right. charge interest. Yep. So they're not a credit provider outright. That's what the law says. Mm -hmm. Unless you provide, you're only a credit provider if you charge interest. Yep. And so right now they're entirely able and it's legally appropriate. We oh, I don't want to suggest they're breaking the law. Yeah, absolutely no, no, but not. In yep. terms of like, I don't think it's great. I think it's pretty black and white to be fair to Afterpay. Yep. The question is, I think to your to your inference, which is, 
the regulator or the government might say, I'll switch not so back comfortable to with that. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I just think it's a, it's a risk as well. And yep, there's just right. too much got into the price. So it's not worth zero. I'm not saying that for a second, but I think it's worth less than it is at the moment. What's your sell, Mr. Phillips? My sell isn't easy. One. It's, it's uh, probably a one word answer. Yep. That answer is Maya. Oh, we've talked a bit about that. That's probably all you yep. need to know. MYR is the code before Andrew picks me up on it. That's mm-hmm. three from three for me, one from three for you. <laughs> um, people want to believe there's a price that's cheap enough to buy Maya. That is only true in my mind if they take the steps they need to do to fix the business which means radical change. They've got to cut back the number of stores, the floor space per store. They've got to reassess the ranging they're offering and the pricing they're offering, pretty much the whole thing. So you need a CEO and a board who go, hey, we want to be in charge of a much, much smaller company. Yeah. And yeah. human nature, male ego, doesn't often see that. And currently the company's saying, no, no, this new Maya strategy is working really well. Mm. Yeah, sure, sales are still down and we're making a loss, but things are going really, really well. Interesting. Um, was around, nipping at their heels. If Maya fixes itself, it is very possibly a successful business, but on a much smaller scale from here. Ironically, being smaller actually might be more profitable for them. And mm-hmm. I think that's what they need to do. Until and unless they want to do that, I wouldn't touch Maya with your money, Andrew. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you know, as much to the disappointment of our listeners, I think we're going to have to skip the uh, high horse oh, today because we are well over time, my friend. Disappointing. But, uh, it's not really yours. I don't really care that much. We'll give, we'll give that poor nag a bit of a rest and you know, let it let it rest up its back. There are, there, are, there are at least one person at home saying, oh, I missed that. Yeah. Else going, oh, thank God. Thank God for that. Those two ranters aren't going to bang on again. I'm just sad that we don't get the sound effect. <laughs> so remember, before we go, you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes and your favorite Android podcast app. And, and you should. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a big fat five-star rating and tell your friends. Uh, and mate, if you want a bit of extra foolish goodness, where would you go? Oh, you know where you go, Andrew. Where should we go? You should go to www.full.com.au forward slash Triple M. Until next week, I'm Andrew Page. And I'm Scott Phillips. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.